everybody right back with the lights out podcast you know we love it when we get to do these deep dives we got special guests and this is a great one right here um i'm just gonna let uh miguel mike uh, t- just let everybody know what we got going on here this is fantastic super excited for this one we're, yeah, we're, you know go you know, let, me, let me start we're about to run wild on the translator <laughs> for the american top team now this is a special treat for us that's all i gotta say go ahead miguel yeah, we got Alex Davis here with us. Alex, you know, uh, fans of the UFC, you've probably seen him in the in the ring, you know, uh, doing interviews, you know, translating for the guys. He does a hell of a lot more than just translate, let me tell you. And I, I think you, if somebody needs straightening out, Alex might be one of the guys that you send in there to straighten people out as well because talking about, uh, talking about a guy that, you know, as far as I can tell, he was with top team you know, now about 50 years or so. so. Before, it was not even American top team. So, yeah, so you're, you're, you're a guy who was there from the roost, which means we get to I ask the about, first one. about the first. all the relationships back to Brazil and all that stuff, which, yeah. you know, it's going to be up. I brought all the first Brazilians up. I got all their visas. I did all their stuff, you know. And uh, so, yeah, so let, let's just get – we're going to get go. into it from the, from, from the very beginning. Uh, Alex – you, you you started talking about coming up to Indiana, and I think probably the first time we may have met or, or were around each other was at that big Jamie Levine show in Indiana. Oh, no, I started the hook and shoot first. Okay. All right. Hook okay. Well, that, that, that was my show, and I'm great. That was, that was my game. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but Jeff. But Jeff. But uh, Mr. Mr. Jamie Levine did a big show in Evansville, and the headline fight was, you know, to be honest, a world-class fight. Um, he invited me as a judge, and it was Jose Pelé Landy from Brazil uh, against uh, Dave Minet. And, uh, you know, this was, yeah, it was an incredible fight, uh, incredible fight to make for the time period, you know, for all the criticism Levine gets, and a lot of it is warranted, right? You know, that, that that's a fight, you know, that's a fight I would have wanted to make, you know, well, back in the old days. Come on, come on, Alex. That fight. <laughs> So Pele had this had this thing where he needed he thought he had this ritual that he needed to have sex before a fight if not he didn't fight well. So he, somehow he found a hooker in Indiana. I didn't even know that that more. But he found I packed a hooker, cigarettes. And he he called her and she, she said how much? He said a hundred bucks. And so he gave her a hundred bucks and said just a, just a minute. And she went back out to the car. And she got in the car and he, he saw that she was going to drive away. So he ran after her and he tried to stop her. And he got on top of the car and dented the car and got really furious. And he came back to the hotel lobby in a huff and a puff and she called the police. <laughs> so everybody was trying to tell him, hey, man, you got to gotta go to your room because the police come here. They're going to arrest you. And now they called me and I'm saying, Pere, you know, it's not Brazil. You beat up the car. They called the police on you. They're, they're you know, they're, they're coming to get you. Oh, no, I'll tell the sheriff she stole a hundred bucks from me and and he'll understand he's a man too. I said, no, Pele, it doesn't work like that here, man. They're going to take you to jail. She says, no, they won't. You want to see the sheriff's going to come and you translate for him. I said, Pele, in any other place in the world, maybe, but you know those guys with those white capes and the crosses? They're from someplace around here. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> 
And and Pele looked at me and said, oh, those guys are in here. Okay, I'll go to my room now. <laughs> hey, how did you do the fight? Respective services. So I, how did you do the fight? It was, a, it was a very close decision. Pele lost by decision. And then when Pele went out, he, the first guy he encountered was Matt, Matt Hughes, and they almost got in a fight. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, well, Matt Hughes used to hate him because he beat Pat Miletic in the, in the, in the prior event. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I, I judged the fight, and I gave Manet the first round. I gave Pele the second round, and I had to call the third round a draw. So I was the one descending judge that gave, that made it a, a, a whatever you want to call that a split decision or or, or, or however I think it, it turned out to be a majority, majority. decision. Yeah. Well, Dave Dave almost caught Pelé in a, in, a, in a knee bar. If I recall, he stayed in that knee bar for almost all of the first round. Remember that? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you can't not give him the first round. I mean, Pele Pele felt like, oh, you didn't do anything to me. It's like, well, you were forced to defend the whole time. I got to give him the round, you know. Yeah. They 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 got mad at me. I remember that's where I learned the Brazilian word brincadeira because <laughs> they told it's me. Which basically means it's like a fucking joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, this is a fucking joke. So, so Pele, who I knew, because uh, we've been to Brazil, you know, I've been to Brazil a bunch of times. So Pele and his coach, Rudimar, come to me to complain about the decision, not knowing I was one of the judges. <laughs> He'd say, who the fuck is judging there? I was like, well, I was a judge. I, I stood my ground. I told him, it's like, look, I, I judged it a draw, you know? But, um, but yeah, they were a little mad. <laughs> so, so just looking at you guys, I, I start recalling all these crazy things. But you know what? You guys have all, except for Chris, who still fought a little bit. You guys are back in your living rooms. I'm still doing this shit. I was in the fucking bus that McGregor attacked. I, it was oh. me that held on to Khabib. Khabib said I got him in a chokehold, and I did not. I talked him out of Khabib. <laughs> Habib, you better sit down. These guys might have guns. I'm not afraid of guns. I said, yeah, but if you get shot, you're not going to fight for the title tomorrow. And yeah. we started talking, and then McGregor showed up, and when they started trying to jump, I said, Habib, listen to me. If you jump out, you're not going to fight for the title tomorrow. Wait for another yeah. day. And, and he even said that on on the, on ESPN. It was funny shit. But I'm, you know, Chris, Miguel, and Mike, I'm still in this crazy crazy world i mean i know talk about it you were at the you were, you were at las vegas this past month with a few fighters now how does that work so so you you get you get the call you're part of the team that's going to go there you, what'd you do spend like three weeks in vegas and watch over like five well, fighters or whatever you go through like that last month like you just get yeah, a process well i had a i had poliana diana who was who was the girl that beat up the that robber in brazil i had her on the first weekend I guess you guys are aware, right? She mm, called yep. me up and said, Alex, I think I'm in trouble. This guy tried to speak by, tried to, 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 to steal my cell phone. And I beat the shit out of him. And, <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. I think you're not in trouble. I think you're going to be famous. And it's on CNN, BBC, CNN. <laughs> she fought the first weekend. And then I had a kid called Andre Muniz, who's a phenom. He's a fucking phenom, a judicial phenom. He got the bonus on the on the second week. And then I was, was going to have Thiago versus Glover. On the third weekend, but um, first Glover tested positive for COVID. The fight got transferred to the island, and now Thiago tested positive. So that that got stressed. So I was in state three weeks. I didn't stay three weeks. I'd only stay two weeks. It's you know, it's um, it, it's it's, yeah, crazy. it's work. I mean, 
Yeah, well, it's work. You go there, you get tested, you stay 24 hours on quarantine. Once they see you're negative, you're free to go wherever you want. And then before the weigh-ins, they test you again. And uh, then you can do whatever you want. And then um, you get tested the night before the event, and then you have to stay quarantined until after the event. It's it's different, you know, we're accustomed to crowds and everything. And it's, it's got a different feel, but I think that this is going to be positive for the sport because of one thing. Everybody can hear the instructions. It's 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 so much easier to, 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 to see and, and for the uneducated to understand what's happening in the fight, you know. I think that's a big positive. But it's it's a it's a it's a it's a strange vibe. You know, you don't have the crowds, you don't have the cheering. It's different. So in the American top team, you know, like first off, we're like giant nerds. So like whatever happens in the ring is excellent, but behind the scenes stuff is kind of like where we dig in. So were you around when uh, Josh Barnett and Hector Lombard had their little scrap at the American top team? I was not there. Hector is a good friend of mine, but he's completely nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell us about it? No, I, I, don't, I wasn't there. I know that they had a, a problem from way back in Australia. I didn't even realize they got into it at American top team. But Hector, listen, I, you know, I'm a judoka. And I'll train with anybody. I don't train with him because it's it's a lose-lose situation. Probably I'll get my ass whooped. And if I do throw him, I'll get my ass whooped too. So it's 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 he's just nuts. I was there once when they they were they were wrestling and this little D1 wrestler, probably a 155er or 145er, he they didn't see him and he went and wrestled with 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 Hector and and then little kid got under Hector and skied him, and man, that was hard to hold on to Hector after that, you know. He's, he's yeah, I heard he's a loose cannon. Yeah, the, the rumor was is that uh, Barnett, I, I guess he leg locked him or you know something, and uh, Hector went out to his car and got a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah, Hector, Hector's like that. He is. He's Cuban. <laughs> I fought many, many Cubans in my life, and they're all like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I could imagine. I could imagine now. You know, I know it's kind of a controversial uh, person to bring up, but, you know, it was in a public eye. Uh, what was your dealings with Hermes Franca, and uh, what, are your, what are your feelings about him? I love him. I, I see him all the time still, and I've been to Puerto yeah. Rico like three times. Last time I got him tickets, he took my wife. He, I, I had to go to the venue with the fighters. He took my wife with his wife to the to the – to the event, you know, the problem with Hermes is a problem that we still, we still, uh, we still live with. You know, these kids, they 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 come from like Hermes was a was a car washer, he was a flannel guy, you know, and then the guy becomes famous in that process to deal with with the notoriety and the fame and everything. It, it's very difficult, you know, and and not only Hermes, but there's a number of fighters, especially coming from Brazil, especially coming from very poor backgrounds, and they they. They, they get they get famous and they make some money and then they don't know how to deal with that you know and it's it's it, with everything they do and all the fame they get then they end up in obscurity again because they didn't know how to handle it I, I have a bunch of cases like that now do you take that do you take that upon yourself to try and you know there's there's coaches for how to fight there's coaches for how to train but as far as other aspects of life you know they have to look 
to someone like you to kind of mentor them and try, I know it's probably hard for a lot of people to listen, but do you try and take that role on sometimes and mentor them and like, Hey man, you do this and that. Chris, I do because I, I, I really take management as a more, more personal thing, a more human thing than other managers. I'm not like maybe a Malky, nothing against him. He's just a number guy. Yeah. Or, or Ali who says he's a good guy, but he's not really, I, I really do, but it's, it's very difficult to defend a man from his own self. Take Bigfoot. I made Bigfoot $5 million in his life. And dude, he's broke. He's living in Brazil, completely broke. I told him seven or eight fights ago, I said, listen, Bigfoot, I'm going to get you three fights so you can make enough money so you can do something with it. And I got him his three fights and um, it, it didn't help, man. He went and bought Porsches in his, in his, wife's name and in his daughter's name you know people he, he would like with bigfoot he tried to hang around he was big and famous and he was trying to hang around with big and famous people and we, yep. you know, the mma the, the mma salaries doesn't fit that budget you know and it, it's happened to anderson too you know anderson was trying to trying to follow the big soccer players in brazil i mean i think anderson's okay now but it's it's difficult to deal with the notoriety and, and I, I keep on having this problem you know it's very, it's, uh, it's very human. It's I remember, you know, if I remember correctly, Hermes Franca did his first fight for me, and and uh, just to, just to give myself a little pat on the back, we had two guys debuting in that fight. It was Mike Brown versus Hermes Franca. I wow. went there. I remember that one. Great fight. That's I'm nuts. <laughs> but yeah, there. so uh, and, and you know, from there stems the whole relationship where now Mike Brown is been with top team you know almost as long as you have he's still there too so yeah he's a it's, it's a nice thing and that, and that really interestingly shows you know uh, illustrates a little bit of the difference of how things can go yeah from that one fight they both debuted they both made careers won belts yeah but i think that mike, mike, said, mike came from a, bit, a, a more structured background. The yep. Hermes came from a very, very poor background, you know. Yeah, and, For sure. And, and that's going to be the difference in many of those situations. Kind of. Yeah, kind look of, at, look, you know, people talk about good managers, and I always see these guys say, oh, well, he's the best man in the world. He's the best. Okay, cool. I'd like to see you manage Bigfoot, John Lineker, Alex Cowboy, Maria Agapola. I'd like to see you manage those nutcases. A lot of personalities. how good you are. Her, Hermes Franken knows the six-toed girl, Chris, so just so that you know. What's that? Hermes Franken knows the six-toed girl, just so that you know. Uh, so, but <laughs> now, let, let's uh, uh, Alex, talk about Bigfoot, because I remember Bigfoot almost taking the head off of a couple of Bodog executives at the airport in, in Vancouver. You remember that situation? <laughs> you want to talk about that? Talk about another situation where Alex saved the day here. <laughs> well, that was funny because, you know, he thought he was going to get cash. And you and, of course, there was only checks. And we went to cash the check, and we couldn't cash the check. And we got back to the airport, and here the whole Bodog uh, team was about to board the plane to go to Russia. And Bigfoot got in first, and nobody's boarding no fucking plane if I don't have my money. Remember Eric <laughs> and Eric Nichols was shitting in his pants. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I remember Eric Nichols. And and they got us a van and they got took us to a strip bar and they did everything they could to take care of Bigfoot when he gets in a bad mood is a pain in the ass, man. Yeah, I, he, he first of all, 
there are a couple of things too there. The the fight didn't quite go his way. It, it, it was probably a fast stop. You know what I mean? In in it terms of things, stop. he was ready to sweep. Uh... What's his name? I forgot. Eric Pele, the, 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 Eric Taylor, the big kid. It. He was a, a good fighter, you know, but it was a fast stop. So he was very dissatisfied, like immediately leaving the ring. And then the part of it is, is, you know, when you talk about a guy with a little bit more of a humble background, it's like, you know, I think at some point they handed him Canadian money and it's like, <laughs> what the no, fuck is check? Okay, in Canadian dollars or something. Yeah. So anyway, the whole exchange thing, he, he didn't want to do the math. <laughs> he, he wanted it kept simple. Right. <laughs> He's, I mean, Bigfoot's Bigfoot. So, so with the history of Brazil, I mean, obviously with fighting going so far back, whenever these Brazilians would come into, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the vision of the rest of the world, um, there was always, they were always accompanied with like crazy records, and that always appeared to me as kind of made up. So, like Marco Huas, who I've got the utmost respect for, like that's that's one of my favorite Brazilian fighters ever. How come him and Hickson never fought? Well, Marco, let me tell you something about Marco. Marco's a very good friend of mine. I'm here today doing what I do thanks to Marco. Okay, I, okay. I train with. Uh, um, a very prominent judo, Brazilian judo guy, seven-time Brazilian champion, who used to own a school with Marco. When I was coming to the States, he introduced me to Marco. And we got to be friends. And Marco, I, he helped ask me to help him out with seminars and stuff like that. I got, I got him a bunch of seminars. I got kicked two times in the leg by that motherfucker. <laughs> and he said, oh, stand in front of me. I'll show you a leg kick. And I was dumb enough to do it. And I, I can still feel the pain today. Anyway, what happened there was that in, in reality, Rickson didn't want any, anything to do with him. Okay, I mean, they what what they what what Head Gracie wanted is they wanted to, to set up a fight behind closed doors, and Lewis said, "No, I'm going to do it in the stadium. I don't have any reason to go behind closed doors. I want to fight in the stadium. If you want to fight, nothing against Rickson. Um, I'll fight him, but it has to be in the stadium." And and you know, I mean, Rickson, I, I don't know him personally. I know of people that have trained with him. He really is really good at jujitsu, but it's not jujitsu, it's MMA. And I think Marco would have just mauled him because Marco's good enough <laughs> at jujitsu not to be submitted by everybody in any place else. I mean, first of all, Rickson would never even come close to getting the, 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 the fight to the ground. And not only that, Rickson at that time was at if at the most 180, Marco is like 220, you know? Yeah. So, really. You, you know, Alex, you and I might be the only two people that consistently say that. No, but I know better than that. You see, the guy that I used to train judo with was seven times Brazilian champion, okay? He was a, he's a, he was one of the best athletes I've ever seen, okay? He was, not only was he that, he was also, his name was Virgilio. He's famous to this day. He, um, he was the best, uh, best beach soccer player at 220 pounds. He was wow. the best beach soccer attacker in, in Rio at that time. Now at 220 pounds, to be able to do that on the sand, you can imagine what kind of athlete he was. So Rickson invited him to his school and he rumpled Rickson. And I've heard this, he never said that because he's really humble, but I've heard jujitsu guys tell me this, you know? And when he when I asked him, I said, hey, yeah, Rickson's pretty good, you know? So Rickson is good. In jiu-jitsu, he's very good, but it's jiu-jitsu. It's not 
judo, it's not MMA, it's not other stuff. And then they inflated all those records and say he never fought anybody. Come on. <laughs> well, what about me... Sergio Pen Pena? Well, he hold on. Let... Go ahead. Sergio Pena is another monster. He's a very good friend of mine. I know him very well. I've trained extensively. Well, I don't say I have trained extensively with him. I've got my ass whooped extensively by him. <laughs> <laughs> fucking good. The last time I trained with him, he was rumpling. I said, stand up if you're a fucking man. He stood up and I tossed him on his ass and I said, that's enough now. We're done. I quit. Yeah, I retire. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to ask you because he, Mike bought up Hickson and Hickson's the guy, you know, in many places, he's the guy with that legendary holy status, that holy, yeah. you know, and, and the only other guy that I've heard other jujitsu people say, like that aren't associated with him, that's on that level was Liborio. And I know that you have a very good uh, relationship with Liborio as well. So why, why don't you start off with a Liborio Hickson comparison uh, from what you know, and then we'll we'll talk about Laborio and stories there, because because I also do want to know why Laborio actually never really sunk his teeth into MMA. Laborio is a monster. Okay, I, I've never trained with anybody, and I've never seen anybody. He, he listen, Laborio get to American Top Team, having drunk all night, reeking of alcohol, and would whoop everybody's <laughs> ass for Dan have to say stop because you're messing with their minds. Uh, the guy that cut, yeah, dude, it's just a monster. I mean, I, listen, he, I, he's my judo student. I had a judo class, and I, I had a lot of Olympic level judo guys have come, and he bought to come in with a purple button, whip all their asses. Roddy Ferguson, everybody knows who Roddy is, right? Right, but, yeah. uh, man, Roddy couldn't stand a chance for he bought him, nor stand up, much less on the mat. I could stand my own stand-up. I could actually throw him and piss him off. But on the mat, man, it's just impossible. He's just so – and it's not like he did anything amazing. It's just so precise and so strong and so methodical. You knew what he was going to do, and you just couldn't keep him from doing it, you know. So I, I, I never saw Ricks and Roll. I I sincerely think that if he went against the body, yeah, I, I, I never seen anyone – I've seen I've seen the boy who rumpled Marcelo Garcia, you know. I, I dude, it's just this guy's at just another level, you know. From They're what I've been, told, I mean, guy. from what it sounds like to me, I've always, you know, I've never been around the boy, but I always wanted to be like him. They say he'll just come in there, like not even be, uh, just kind of come in, like you say, might be drinking day before or something, come in and go with the top guys and just school them and just piss them off. They're they're standing up, getting throwing shit down and getting mad, and he's just like, what? I mean. That's what I want to be, the guy who can just kind of walk in off the street, roll with the best guys in the world and whip their ass and have them pissed off. That's Chris, what I hear about. Simple techniques. Nothing, <laughs> you know, you, you think, oh, he's going to come with these flying. Nothing like that. Just little simple techniques, man. But he catches you every fucking time. <laughs> That's what I heard. Last time I trained with him, he ripped my groin because he, he was going to fight Zemayu. And he asked me to help him with Uchimata. And we started doing right side Uchimata, and I started telling him we did one, two, 20, 30. And then all of a sudden, he does it left, and I wasn't expecting it. He hurt my groin. I said, hey, boy, you were doing right side. Why do you change left? I said, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, that's good to know the 30th time in, huh? Yeah. So, 
Laborio becomes American top team, and he's one of the original guys from the Carlson Gracie team and what was Brazilian top team there. Now, what, I'll ask you, why Laborio? Because if you look at, especially when you consider MMA resumes, Sperry, who you just mentioned, Murillo, there were guys – you know, with more MMA experience, which is kind of a top team was going to be MMA oriented. How does Laborio work? Is it really just because yeah, he's, it is it because he's just the magic boy? And, and you know, is it all mat based? In jujitsu, yeah. In jujitsu, I mean, listen. Um, you asked why he didn't get good in MMA. It's just because he doesn't have. He's not a competitive mindset guy. He's just not like he's not like Chris. Will get in there and just let it all hang out. He had a problem competing, you know, a little bit of a mental block, but with jujitsu, nor is that Mario, nor listen, I've, I've passed the Mario's garden. Well, pulled him. I can't never even come close to do that shit with, with the body, you know, never trained with Murillo. <laughs> Murillo to me was one of the most intelligent fighters to ever step in the ring, you know, but they say that jujitsu, Murillo couldn't, none of them could stand their own with, with Lee Water. How did he get to American Top Team? Because he was friends with, with uh, Marcelo Silveira. And, and I guess they got in contact and he wanted to break off. He wanted to come to the States. So that's how that happened. Okay. okay so that so, through Conan and his brother. Yeah. That's, my, that's, that's how I figured. All right. So I think I met you in 2004. And it looks familiar, but you might have had longer hair and you know, I had some hair, yeah. <laughs> so in 2004, the Ironheart Crown was in Hammond, Indiana, so it's a suburb of Chicago. And Tiago Albies fought Jason Chambers on the card, and he has had Jay Z fight Bart Palazuski. Bart obviously went on to fight in the UFC, but as I was tearing down and we were getting everything together to leave, Liborio and Carlson Sr for about 20 minutes had a screaming match. Like they were just yelling at each other. Do you remember that? No, I was not there. 2004, I was all, I heard about it, but I was always there. But we had a rule in the, in the school that we knew about the problem that we wouldn't, we wouldn't take sides because everybody had a, a huge respect for the body and huge respect for, for Carlson. So, and, and uh, Cornyn was Carlson's student. So we didn't get, I mean, those things happen. You know, the boy just said that he started charging more money and wasn't there to train the guys. And, and Carlson said that they, 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 uh, they dumped on him. I, I don't know the truth. You know, it was ugly. To be honest with you. And I know a lot of those guys and I, I actually met Carlson and, uh, you know, uh, Carlson was obviously, you know, Steer was a man. Yeah, he was, a, and he was a worldly guy. Like his English wasn't very good, but his Spanish was right. So I mean, I've actually had conversations with him and explained Abu Dhabi rules to him and stuff like that, like back in those days and stuff. And it, the the problem there is, you to me is you've got you know six or seven geniuses in the room, and maybe enough money for like two of them. You know what I mean? It's like the pie wasn't big enough back then. You know. And uh, uh, yeah. I don't know about that. Once it got, once it, once it, yeah, once it blew once up, it, but once, once they started going to Japan, the money started, started uh, flowing. But we all know how corrupt things were in Japan in those days, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was bad in Japan. Oh, yeah. So, uh, did you ever have any interactions with Walid Ishmael? <laughs> I had to ask that. That's my arch enemy in the whole business. I hate that guy's guts. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. 
<laughs> well, here's a, here's a. I'm gonna let Alex obviously tell the story, but I I have a friend named Shu Hirata who works in the business, who's a, a Japanese uh, translator and stuff, and he gets around, and I believe he witnessed a fist fight between Alex and Walid where a restaurant in Brazil got busted up. So I'm gonna let Alex take it away from there. Well. Listen, let's, first of all, okay, I, I, you see I speak English just like you guys, and I speak Portuguese like them. I'm known in Brazil for judo, not for MMA. I never got involved in MMA, but I'm Texan. And I don't, I don't back down to anyone, okay? Sure. I'm yeah. sitting at the damn restaurant, and this guy comes at, he comes at me, you know? I say, hey, okay, you want to fight? We're fighting, you know? And, and I, I start clocking him, you know, I kicked him. I kicked him. I'm in a street fight. I kicked him in the balls. And he tried to grab me. I need him in the balls. I hit him, you know. And he tried to take me down. And I, I'm, and I tried to throw him. And in the scramble, I ended up underneath him. And we broke a bunch of chairs and tables. And what uh, started it? I don't know. He attacked me. <laughs> no hey, what was it? A porco? Was it one of those restaurants? Uh, yeah, no. It was a small restaurant beside the uh, beside the the the. The, the, the UFC event hotel in on the Baja. Oh, okay. Listen, let me tell you something. Eric Silva was there. Fabi Gugel was there. Gistaki was there. Glover was there. Everybody was. Everybody saw. Everybody gave me the victory. Everybody said I beat him up. <laughs> you got the decision? Yeah, I got the decision. I, I hit him a bunch of he, – he managed – when we fell down, he in the scramble, he, met, he ended up on top of me and my guard passed. So he tried to hit me. I grabbed his hand. Then, he, then I caught his other hand. He tried to headbutt me. I took my hand out of the way, and somebody grabbed his hand. When they grabbed his hand, I saw that his hand was controlled by somebody else. I punched the fuck out of his hand. <laughs> up, you know? and, uh, and then they separated. I had to pay the poor old lady. You see the motherfucker? That motherfucker can't even catch COVID. He's so fucking horrible. He gave me the <laughs> and he caught, he, uh, and then I had to pay for the damn, damn, he ran away. And I, oh, you should have ran. That's the move. You don't want to, I'm pay not going to run from him. Fuck him. I'm it saying from the restaurant. No, it happened two times that it happened again. So Bebel comes and we say, we set up a truce where he's going to stay in his corner. I'm staying in my corner. And for about a year, we were in the same place. They'd stay over there. I'd stay over here. We get wouldn't get in trouble. Then one day I'm coming out of the elevator and he's coming in. He says, "You piece of shit, turn that piece of shit yourself." And he comes up at me. I said, "Come on, man!" And then they got in the middle of us again. So now I realize he's gonna. I'm gonna have to fight him one of these. So I start boxing. <laughs> I start boxing. And I, I start liking boxing. You know, my dad was 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 Texas was Golden Glove uh, heavyweight a golden glove for Texas and I, I boxed a little one as a kid and I started liking it. So I'm in Belém and I'm sitting on the, in a, in a corner of the hotel, I'm sitting on a sofa working all of a sudden here that motherfucker comes again. And, but this time I'm ready for him. So when he comes, everybody held on to him and said, no, no, let him go. Come on. And they let him go. He didn't come. He went. So he went out into the, to the hotel reception. So I went out to the lobby, started shouting at me. I said, come on, man, come on. Cause now I had open space. I would have kicked his ass, but he didn't come. He went out to the parking lot. So I tried to follow him and they grabbed me 
<laughs> and and George Guimarães, Joinha went out. He went. He, he ran all the way to the corner. Motherfucker, <laughs> you know. I, I that guy, and not only that, I don't like him. Of course, because I'm. I, I don't like anybody who tries to attack me. And I don't like what he. He has done a lot of very bad things to a lot of fighters. He he, he had one of the most prominent events in Brazil, which he could have done a bunch of good for the industry. And he's a thief. He's fucked everybody, you know. Mm. We don't, I mean, anybody, I, I, I should really set up a group of Brazilian <laughs> fighters and just tell everybody tell the stories about him. But you know what? We, we uh, would yeah. be glad to guide them here. We could be guidance counselors. We would hate to host so, that. <laughs> I was you know, did you see Renzo's well, arguing with him? Well, wait, let me ask you, let, let's finish up the Walid story there because Shu, my friend uh, and translator who witnessed at least the first confrontation, at one point, and I love this because Americans kind of got pussyfied and we, we settle things in court nowadays, you know what I mean? And I think Shu was ready to testify in court on Alex's behalf, but well, you guys had a truce, so the court or proceedings all went out the window. Go no, ahead, no, clean no, that no, up no. for me. No, Make, no, no, I called the police, I made a complaint. He ran, to. To the, he ran to the sheriff's office and said I attacked him. So I said, Shoo, if, if this goes to court, I might need your testimonial because you saw he started it, okay? But listen, that shit never works in Brazil, man. It, it, yeah. I, I, listen, <laughs> I, I resigned, you know, I, then when he tried to attack me in, in, uh, in, uh, in River and Sul, I made a complaint again, and I had it all on the, on the hotel cameras and everything, and nothing happened. I resigned to the fact that if he attacks me, I'll fight him. I'm ready to fight him. I mean, you know, I thank him. I'm in shape now. Interestingly, Mike, we found something in common between Brazil and our bare knuckle friends from the traveler community in England. No lawyers <laughs> needed here. No <laughs> Fuck that. It's not. It's not. You know, Brazil doesn't have a. Brazil does not have a um, like libel courts. That's what. Yeah, it doesn't have restraining orders. You can't get a restraining <laughs> order. You know, listen, Miguel. I'm a businessman. I'm a grandfather. I'm a judo player. I want to go to the Olympics. The MMA was when, when MMA started. I, I could have done that. I was trying to go to the Olympics in judo. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I had a while those knuckleheads were fighting. I had a sponsorship from the Bank of Brazil. I was another level. I was a bank manager. I didn't need to get. I was on the beach when 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 Ugo fought Rickson and I just took my kids and went to another place on the beach. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. You know, not that I've not fought. I fought plenty of times. Cause when I moved to Brazil, when I was a young kid, I moved from Texas to Brazil. I couldn't speak Portuguese and, and Brazilians are Brazilian kids are they're, they're They bully you. And I could see they were bullying me. I couldn't understand what they were trying, what they were saying. <laughs> so I them. And I got into judo because my dad, got fed up with going to the direct to, to the principal's office and bailing me out because all the fights I got in, you know? And so that's why he put me into judo. So he tried to calm me down because, you know, they were all trying to bully me. Fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So Chris, you fought, you fought Tiago. How many other top team guys did you take on? How many times did you look across the ring and see this guy here? Uh, I don't know, man, too many. I never like fighting uh, any, any of the Brazilian guys. I know it's going to be a tough day, you know. So, I know, but Alex, one thing I've always had a, a lot of respect for what they do down there at, at the American Top Team, it seems to me, and, and, and tell me if this has anything to do with you. Um, 
You know, it seems like they take care of their guys, especially by the point, like, when you're an older fighter, you're done. It seems like a lot of those guys transition over into coaching for the American Top Team. Is that something you look into as far as exit strategy for how to well, do something well, after fighting? Let's, let's first of all, put in perspective the fact that at American Top Team, we have a man that is probably, and Miguel will know that, and you'll know that, Michael will know that, who's Dan Lambert. Who's Dan Lambert. The beans we've ever oh, yeah. And we, we were the, – the, the sport is lucky enough to have this guy interested. 100%. And he's helped enough people to fill a, a football stadium, you know. And he and it was funny because we built the first American top team. It, it's, a, it's a funny story from beginning to end because, first of all, he wanted to, to – he bought a 10,000-square-foot building and we couldn't get the – we couldn't get the, uh, the city to approve the gym. And then – he said, well, I'm going to buy a 20000 dollars square foot in his realtor. And the lawyer said, you can't even open that. Well, I made more money. I wanted 20000 So then we <laughs> built the first American top team. And then I, I, my, I, was, I was married. I had three kids. And my wife went nuts and went back to Brazil and started snorting coke. And I, I couldn't raise my kids alone, so I left. And then he built another American top team, bigger one was awesome. And then he calls me up and tells me he's going to be build a bigger one. I said, Dan, don't you remember all the headaches we had with the first two? Said Alex, I made all the money I'm gonna make in the world. I'm gonna do something I want. He was kind of, you know, Glenn kind of pushed him into that, you know, and he ended up building the American Top Team today, which is a, it's as big as a hangar, you know. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, you know, I, I remember so that story. I remember, the, you know, it, it, I remember the ten thousand foot gym because. You know, at the time, everybody's in a, in a corner somewhere in the gyms, you know. And and he had a 10,000-foot gym, and I remember that he wasn't going to be able to get it open. And the story was that he, he asked for a 20,000-foot gym, and his advisor was like, you know, what, are you kidding me? And Dan, I, I've heard this. So it must be a habit of his or, or a story that's getting around. But Dan has a habit of looking at his watch for a little while and saying, well, I just made enough money to buy the fucking building, so just buy it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. We got out of the we got out of the meeting. Me, him, Marcelo, the realtor, and his lawyer, which is a friend of his, and he said to the realtor, he said, "Find me a twenty thousand square foot building." And the, the lawyer said, "Ah, man, are you crazy? You can't even open." I said, "I made more money since then. I want a twenty thousand. <laughs> wow." You know, I I try not to tell Dan Lambert stories about his kindness. Because there'd be a block of people, a block long of people with their hands out. But that guy has done things for people that don't have no association with him whatsoever. No, and uh, is truly you. shockingly kind. I'm in Vegas. I'm in Vegas. I'm running down the hallway and I've got an American Top Team shirt on. And this couple run up to me. You're from American Top Team. You know Dan Lambert? I said, yeah, I know Dan. You won't believe what he did. We were yeah. at the ticket booth and we were trying to buy tickets and they didn't have those tickets anymore for us and we were saying oh we can't go to the show and dan went and bought the more expensive tickets and gave it to the couple just yeah he's probably one of the kindest people that i have ever encountered forget the sport and you know i've got very limited dealings with him but what i know of him and his actions are is truly a uh, an amazing human being that, that, hey, that, when, when i was running amok doing my shows it's like, you know, there are a lot of people who probably want to punch me in the face, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Dan and Alex would probably 
have to be like the top two or three guys on the list, uh, along with Aaron Riley. Those I three guys. But Aaron Riley's got a son in the hill. <laughs> Does he? Oh, <laughs> Aaron Riley's got a son in Brazil. This is news. But those I, I don't guys, know. Jeff could probably referee them punching. Does him. he know that? That way, he, <laughs> well, he doesn't have it. But I, I, I was there was a there was a, a he was at my house and building cup fire and we went to look at it and this girl came and says he's that American that fight. I said yeah and said can I speak to him and say he doesn't speak any Portuguese. Says she says okay can I kiss him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. It's nice. So, you know, one of the things that we like to talk about, like, you know, we had mentioned about, you know, coaching and being a role model and different components of, of life are really important to, to find in the gym. At one point, the American top team had Robbie Lawler, Colby Covington, and uh, Jorge Masvidal all under one roof. And that's when I believe Robbie Lawler was the champion. How does that play out? Because all of them were entitled. I mean, Robbie was a champion, and Jorge and Colby were, you know, wanted the the belt. Like, how? What well, happens in the gym? When, at Robbie, that when Robbie was champ, they were still a ways off that, you know. And I think that uh, the guy that 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 was that was near the belt with Robbie was Tyrone, mm -hmm. and um, but. You know, it's one of the good things that it's, it's Dan's role model. We, even though people fight each other, we try to keep it fair. We try to keep people from not getting into other camps, you know. I mean, it's inevitable if you have a bunch of champions, you know, and, and you do what Dan did, which has not been replicated under any, any other place on earth, you're going to have these problems. And, and you know that, I mean, there's a lot of ego involved in fighting. There's a lot of emotions and you know, and Colby, I mean, I love Colby. Colby's not that dickhead he looks like when he's talking. He's really, really cool kid. And Jorge, Jorge is a really good guy. And Robbie's a great guy, you know. And But, you know, when they're, they're fighters and it's a fighting. And so you have these arguments sometimes, you know. And, and, and some guys leave. I mean, Colby left. I don't remember why it was he left. Um, Tyrone's up with Duke Rufus now, no? Yeah, but he's still American Top Team. Oh, that's right. Mike Mike Brown's been with. Uh, you know, no, I think one of the ways was, was with the McGee left. Yeah, one of the ways I think you get around is, is a little bit of what we just mentioned there is is you do have to throw resources at it. I mean, if if Chris is is you know paying ten thousand dollars a month for training, and another guy comes in and he pops down his ten thousand, well. They better be getting the same training level, you know. They so one guy better not be getting the same more attention than the other, well, etc. Et you can really only do that with good resources. It's like, all right, Laborio is going to be over here. You get Dean Thomas, you know. You got you got professional and a level, and that's where the branding comes in, you know. Well, they 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 managed to get get it dialed in now. I mean, you got Conan as head coach. Conan is a very stable, very fair guy, you know. And then you have a bunch of coaches. My son-in-law is a coach, Cartel Kubis and, and Marcos Lamata and, and Steve Marco and and King Mo and, and they, they figure it out. You know, it's it's not my really my thing is to get the fighters in there and get them fights. So that's what I and I interact a little bit when I when there's something I can do and I can help and everything. But it's a team effort, you know. So I, I I'm talking every day with Dan and with 
with Conan and with Mahomes. But this is, let me tell you something. This is this is a, a situation that will not be replicated. There will not be somebody else on earth that's going to do what Dan did. And what we live here and how we interact with this and how fair we are with each other and how fair we are with the other fighters and our space and our history and everything that we've done and who we are is something that's not going to be replicated, you know. And probably when Dan passes, it's probably not going to stay there. I don't think anybody that that doesn't have the passion and the kindness and everything that Dan has is going to keep that place going like that, you know. But, you know, like we've all mentioned, the American Top Team isn't Dan's full-time job. You know, it's something he does as a passion project. And I try to, like, I talk to Miguel and Chris, and, like, you've got a guy that's a legit top-tier businessman that's got a whole bunch of plates that are moving, and then he's got to sit down in front of a guy that wears a horrible suit, a Make America Great Again hat, that's pissing everybody off in the gym, and he's got to play HR. Like, I, I can't even wrap my <laughs> well, head around well, that. But let me explain you. Let me explain you something that I've learned by Because you know what? I'm so fortunate by having met Nan because the – it's funny, let, I'll tell you how I met Dan. I met Dan because the first, I, I'm a judo player, right? And I... I national I, champion. Yeah, I was I was U.S. national and Brazilian national champion. So I, the first time I fought in the Pan American, Pan American Jiu-Jitsu championships, I beat everybody. I just threw them all over the place, you know? And it wasn't even fair because these guys weren't my level, really grapplers, you know? And and Dan saw that, and I had a, and I, I had a team with, with, I had a school with Mino Tauru, Big knock and uh, Tuesday morning, big old car drives up on to the school. I'm scratching my head, thinking I'm uh, having to pay the bills. And Dan walks down and says, "Man, could you teach me? I saw what you saw at the Pan Ams. I want to learn that stuff." And I said, "Yeah, of course. Come to class." And no, no, I want it now. I said, okay. <laughs> so I started teaching him now. I taught him for that was awesome. I want another hour, so I taught him another hour, and he. And I said, hey, so how much is it? I said, 100 bucks. He gave me 1000 And then we started, just, no, I don't need the 1000 No, you keep it. I want to stay. Blah, blah, blah. Finally, I had to close the school down, and he invited me over to Marcelo's school. And I, and I still, for two years, I'd get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and teach him judo, which is a tough, it's a very tough, tough uh, sport to teach adults. Kids learn it fast, but because of falling on. But he stuck with it for a long time, you know, when he was competing in jiu-jitsu and everything. And... Um, so, and at that time, you know, and then he said, well, I'm going to create this, this school and I want you to manage it and this team and I want you to manage it and everything because I'm bringing a bunch of Brazilians to Portuguese. And then, and then we got to go to jiu-jitsu championships in Learjets, you know, I mean, Jesus, I'd go, I'd beat him. We'd have a Monday morning meeting and he said, Alex, do the head count. We'd count everybody said, man, I have to, I have to rent two jets, rent two jets. You know, and then the first the first fight that we won in the UFC was Dean Thomas versus versus uh, Matt Sarah, and they'd announced the fight as Matt Sarah having won. Yeah, yeah. But then he turned it over, and then I got to my room with the Trump Taj Mahal, and my my luggage is gone. I said I called the person. Hey, there's somebody stole my. No, 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 Mr. Lambert changed rooms on you, and he put us in the presidential suite. <laughs> of the Trump Taj Mahal, me, Marcelo, Hermes, and Dean, and he gave us the fuck money to hire hookers. <laughs> but, but Marcel would. Which you didn't do. Well, no, you no, 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 no. He saved the money. The money is still in the bank. <laughs> no, 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 
they, they Marcel gave the money back to, to Dan. The problem was that he called in the hookers, but he'd look and said, they're not good enough, my guys. Send them yeah. And finally, we ran out of hookers, and there was no more hookers, so we ended up doing MMA with the butler. I was going to say, I, I heard many stories about them, like, you know, clearing out all the furniture of the suite and, like, doing fights up there, like, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, all kinds of crazy shit. So, I, I, so let's, let's talk about, I mean, I, I mean, we're obviously doing deep dives here. I'm going to throw a couple names at you. Dennis Kang. Oh, Panface. My dear Panface. He looks like a pan. <laughs> very good friend of mine. He's been on the farm like Miguel. Very, very good fighter. Very, very good person. You know, I, 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 I got him on Facebook. I talked to him once in a while. He was a great fighter, man. He was one of the best in, in those days. He was very, very good. You know. Yeah, I, I think he, he's one of the fighters that uh, the public eye never got to uh, appreciate his uh, his skill as high as it was. Yeah, I mean, the big fight that was supposed to happen was him versus Paulo Figueroa. It never happened. I think that would have been the fight that would have probably solidified his legend, you know, his legacy, and it never happened. I mean, Ben Case say beat Paulo Figueroa. I don't know. Paulo Figueroa not only was his juice to the gills, he's a good fighter, but that was the fight that never happened there. So Marcus Aurelio was supposed to fight in M1. And I know there was like a lot of negotiations regarding that. Why did that fall apart? I wasn't I wasn't there when 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 Marco Radio started fighting when he when he um when he, when he submitted Takenori uh, Gomez. I was already in Brazil. Badass. Was, uh, yeah, he was really really good jujitsu. So uh, how come him and M one never worked out? I I'm not sure. I mean, I, listen. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Edson Barbosa is from my hometown, and he's my uh, son-in-law's best student. And I had convinced, I'd sold him to Tanikawa from K1 for K1 Max to fight. Uh, we already had a fight for him. But then Dan got in an argument for Tanikawa over Dennis Kang and sued Tanikawa. And Tanikawa didn't ended Barbosa's contract in a re re revenge to Dan, and he didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> You know, it was a crazy world in those days. I don't know. All I got was the fucking tail of the tail end of the deal. You know, so, I don't so, know what happened then. One. So, what was the uh, the locker room like for Jungle Fight in the early days? I never. I only went to one one Jungle Fight uh, when I brought Todd Duffy to fight Oswaldo Silva uh -huh. and Valid. And I had to, I I got to Rio. I went to the fights. I had to go to my farm. And and the minute I left the hotel, Valid went up to to Todd's room with a with a, a contract to try to get him signed with Valid. And then Todd, but it was it was okay. It was a good locker room. It was it was in the same hotel, the Windsor Hotel. It was good. But there's a lot of hairy stories about about things that happened in Jungle. Unfortunately, uh, you you mentioned you mentioned uh, steroids. <laughs> so now, so so, what's the deal with Brazil in terms of like you? You mentioned Paulo Filo, another guy who was a phenom from that era, you know, almost from the same roots, uh, was Ricardo Arona, and he sort of went down the same hill. Well, well I can tell you a little bit about that. I, I, I for a time I was trying to help. When I went back to Brazil, I started um, because of the link between the border and Muriel and everything. I started helping them. I started to help picking up some of the guys at, at Brazilian Top Team, and Murilo asked me to try to get Arona fight in, in America, in, in the UFC, and I hit Joe Silva up. 
And Joe said he didn't like his fighting style. He knew it was good, but he was not exciting. He was boring. He just took people down and, and laid on top of them. That's why, that's why Joe didn't, uh, didn't hire. Um, uh, uh, and, and I also, Big Nog try, asked me to try to get Anderson Silva into the UFC after he fought in Pride and he lost in Pride. And Joe didn't want him. I, I could tell you why. I could tell you why because remember, I, I went back in the old days. I went with Henry Matamoros to fight Rafael Cordero, Cordero's last MMA fight. So I knew Rudimar and those guys real well. And at one point, I remember when Henry fought a fight in Atlanta. I, I was going out to corner him, and I turned around, and Pele and Rudimar were behind us. They came out and cornered Henry out of respect for him. Right? They asked me to get Anderson Silva in the UFC, and I got it done. And Basically, they had the contract in hand, and that's when, as you said, they went to Pride. They went to Pride and oh, kind of dicked yeah. me and dicked that contract, but they were making more money there. I, you know, I couldn't say anything, but I believe Joe Silva held a grudge there. Well, yeah, he did. That, they, you, now that you mentioned that, it was the same thing with Murillo. Uh, Murillo wanted to come back to the UFC, and uh, and we, I, I, I was not able to get the deal done. They, they wanted to hire Muriel, but Muriel knew that they were going to fuck with him, and he tried to put a bunch of guarantees in the contract, and, and Dana and Joe didn't accept it. Uh, so, I mean, and, and like uh, you, you're in the industry, and you, I, you might not be comfortable answering this, but like when we're up here and we look at the Brazilian fighters fighting in the UFC, a lot of them don't pass the eye test, and we're always scrutinizing USADA Brazil. What is your experiences with USADA Brazil? No, 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 no. USADA Brazil is a serious organization. Okay, don't, don't, don't mistake that. That's a mistake. People take mistake that. But let me let me tell you something. Okay, I'm I'm a really, really a damn it. I've been. I, I, listen, I can't win a raffle. So when it comes to judges' decisions, I'm the baddest luck in, on earth. And I've been at the wrong end of so many. And listen, I was at the on the wrong end of Barbosa versus. Felder on the wrong end of Barbosa versus Iggy, at the wrong end of Sapato versus Rahal. So many, so many, so many bad decisions where I started thinking about this. And I, I wrote an article. Miguel, did you look at the article? I, look, I tried to find it, but I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. But I'm Alex Davis, it's on, it's on, in, 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 all you have to do is put Alex Davis, search Alex Davis in MMA Junk and Find It. I, I tried to look at that too. I couldn't find it. I'll send it to Miguel for you. I just got his okay. So what I say in this article is, listen, the, the, the judging is completely, 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 it's, it's, it's crazy. It's completely berserk. For example, let me ask you a question. Do you think these commissions do eye tests for the judge? They do not do them. Listen, you can't judge a, a fucking fast-moving fight if you don't have 20-20 eyesight. Not only that, are we... Are we doing sobriety tests for these judges? We are not. Remember that they said Keith, with, with in, in Dominic Cruz's fight, he said that Keith was smelling of alcohol. Keith is a serious guy. He smokes cigarettes, but he's a serious guy. But if you had sobriety tests in place, there would never be any doubt. And I've seen some of these judges completely hammered the night about before the fight. Or let's say, how about a, how about a, a motivated reasoning screening test? Because you know that Miguel, if Miguel fights and I judge Miguel, um, I'm emotionally incapable of, of judging it fairly. This is science. It's not me. It's not Alex. It's just science. You, we're incapable of, of judging, giving fair judgment to 
to somebody that we have an emotional attachment of some some kind to. So anybody that has a relation to a fighter shouldn't be judging. But these simple or psychological tests to see if this guy knows how to perform under pressure or very simple simple prerequisites that should be done for judges that are not done. And I wrote the article and I sent it to Cristiano, who is the um, who is the commissioner of MMA in Brazil, and he adopted all four measures immediately. See, Alex, right. you're fucking right. This is right, and they're all. You can't all argue you have, All you have are black belts there. Okay. Now let me ask you: these fucking athletic commissions here—they don't give a shit. Look at look at what's happening in Vegas. I mean, I don't have anything personal against them, but. You know, we, we, we know that the system, the 10-9 system, is a system developed for boxing. It's not for MMA. First of all, no. the system's wrong, okay? And then you have these judges. You have this old lady. I don't remember her name. She, she can't. Man, I tell you, she, if, if a buzzard. I'll say her name. Adelaide Bird. If a buzzard lands on somebody's head, she will not see it. <laughs> you know, she, she, she can't. It's not her fault. She's an old well, lady. She's, well, she's, she's, got, she's got. I can tell you, she's got. Pristine qualifications. Yeah, she's uh, sleeping. Back in the old days. Yeah, back in the old days, she married a referee. So that's how you become a judge. Whatever. It's just that the problem is that we're being judged. We're 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 professionals, and we're being judged Mm -hmm. by people. You know, the fighter should have the right. After he's put so many months and so many years in his career, he should have the right to know what gives. What qualifies the people that are judging them? Who qualifies? Alex, Alex, you know what I'd like to see done? I'd like to see a lot more fighters move into the role of being judges because these people have never been in a fight in their life, and I think you get a much better perspective as fighters. And once again, we need to have some roles for people once they are done with the sport, the competitive side. I think that that'd be a, a natural progression. Sense. Something needs to be done. That's common sense, but the, the world doesn't work like that. All these all these commissions. They're all politically hired people, okay? They're people that don't. I, I'm running some time after time after time. 100% correct. They don't know. They don't. They have no no qualification for doing what they're doing. Listen, I'm, I'm the manager that's. That listen, when Rosie Marpagliaris fought John Fitch, remember that fight in in WSOF? He did. He let go. Rosimar let go of John Fitch's ankle. Okay, he did not hold on to it. So Andy, Andy Foster is one of the better, one of the better, actually the guy that now we're friends because of the argument I, I'll tell you that we had with him. He comes up and says, well, I'm going to suspend Rosemar. I said, what do you mean you're going to suspend Rosemar? Let's look at the video. So I showed the video to him and I said, he let go. Yeah, but he has a history. I said, sir, but I'm <laughs> sorry, but you're judging. You can't judge history. You got to judge this fight. You can't judge history. Well, I came out of this fight just because of this fight. I said, sir, I'm sorry, but you're suffering motivated reasoning. You know, I know how to argue with these people, you know. Yeah. And Andy, <laughs> Andy, actually, he got all red and all purple because a lot of people, he, but I, I beat him in the argument. But the problem is that, you know, um, a lot of these people are not qualified to do the jobs they do. They have their badges and they wear their suits. Listen, you were saying, you were talking, Miguel just reminded me of something uh, that was asking how the UFC is and the pandemic and everything. Okay, so you don't have any fighters, you don't have any corners, you don't have, but you have like a hundred fucking commission people. 
I don't know what they're all doing. I was looking at this and what are these guys doing? What's their function? <sighs> you know? Well, well, and they're sitting in the back and, and they're collecting autographs. I mean, it's, it's taking pictures. Like, they're, they're are you here to work or with their bags what are you here to do? And their suits and acting important. You know, MMA is the sport that it's unfortunate, but the sport has you can you can become relevant in this sport. All you have to do is just just parachute into it. And how many how many people do we know that have become relevant from day to night? They just jump into this sport, and it keeps on happening. You keep on seeing it all the time, and. And, you know, I sit down with these people and I listen to them and I argue with them and I'm on TV shows with them and they don't know what they're talking about. They're well, well and they're not even open to interviews. Like, they won't even let them – let's let's hear them argue their points. You know, yeah. let, let's see how intelligent they are. Like, Why are you scoring these fights like this? No, I, 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 believe, I believe the commission tells them that you're, they're not allowed to do interviews. Yeah, yeah no, for sure they do. But, but, you know, there's people that you might not agree with their decision. But if you argued with them, they could at least articulate how they got there. And whether you agree with them or not, the path that they take, you can go, well, I don't agree with it, but I at least respect that he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. You know, give them that opportunity because it would expose the people that have no idea. Well, well let's, let's take another doing. sore subject. Look at your, our weigh-in system here, okay? Now, I've, everybody's heard about 1FC, right? 1 and 8. Same day weigh-in. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, it's not same day weigh-ins. It's not that. No, oh, it's ten percent of your body. No, it's nothing. It's much, much simpler. It's much more genius. What they do is they weigh the guys in two times, Thursday and Friday. Okay. He has to make weight. First of all, they do not permit a guy. So if, if Chris Chris fights at, at let's say Chris was fighting at one seventy, he's re at one eighty and he dropped to one seventy and then rehydrate. Right. That's what everybody's doing. So I took John Lineker to, to one, and John was fighting at 145, where he was supposed to fight. He was fighting 135 here, here in the States, where he'd have to come from 145 and drop to 135 and come back. They, they had a person die, so they do not permit dehydration. So not only do you have to weigh in, you have to do a, a, a hydration test. hydration test with the pragmometer, and you have to do it twice. So if you don't make weight, they will deal with that. But if you are dehydrated, they will not let you fight. They're really anal about it. Now, it's, it's a genius. You know, what, what happens is now you see all these fighters healthy and laughing and no fucking suffering. First 22, of all, 21, I'm out, guys. You guys Chris is, hey, we'll keep going. Hey, you, Chris. Talk later. Hey, Chris. See you, man. He's, he's playing hooky yeah. from work. That's what that is. So anyway, so what happens is that um, they they took they took the system. Matt Hume and Doctor Wang went to the ARP. They presented their system to the ARP. Everybody applauded it, but nobody. And you know what's so stupid about it is that this hurts the fighters. It hurts the promotions. It hurts the commissions. It hurts fans it hurts everybody but we are incapable simply incapable in, in MMA we are incapable of trying to change anything just can't do you it. Know, just not Matt Hume might be one of the MMA's brightest minds he is he is I talk to him practically every day he's a very good friend of mine I, I love him and what I love about him is that when we talk we talk maybe three percent about fighting and we talk about all other subjects which he's a very educated man 
and you can talk about things. You can talk about guns and motorcycles and Sasquatch and viruses and <laughs> stock market. You know, he's just a, just such a guy, you know. And him and Dr. Wayne came up with this this system. And, and, and I've told him a thousand times, he said, Matt, you got to help get this thing out to the world because it, it'll help a bunch of people. But, you know... They're, 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 you know, the big bully in the house is, is, it's UFC and they're always very scared that they have a little bit of, of, they're very precautionary with what people might do with them. But it's a pity because the system is, and I've been on Twitter and I've argued and, and I've bitched and everything. And I, you know, I'm getting old. I'm 58. I'm just not too old to, to take, pick up these fights anymore. But, you know, I, I write and what I do is I go out there and write. If you look at, Go on MMA Junkie. Just put, do this. Go on Google. Put Alex Davis MMA Miguel. There's, I've written a lot of. You write a lot. A lot of yeah, you've got a lot. You've got a lot. Oh, yeah, oh. you're 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 not afraid to share your opinion. It's always. Uh, no, it's bullshit. You know. It, I, it comes from a good. You know, it comes from a good like area. It's not just. That's the thing know. is is the guidance yeah. the guidance from Lambert and from that source is like is like let's make it a fair playing field. You know, and if everybody's marching with that that. Forward, I believe I did that. You know, when I had, yeah, you know, my abilities like to do that. that. The world's not like that. No, you you you, you face you face opponents all the time. But let's we're we're way over an hour. We lost Chris. We may have to do a part two. But I do want to bring it back around and ask you about Jeff Munson because oh. we're about one of the characters here. We're talking about little steroids using and stuff like that. What do oh. you know about Jeff and the legendary Wizenator? He's, he's first, first of all, Jeff's one of my best friends. He used to kid, he used to, to babysit my kids. I used to babysit his kids. Put him in his fight against Rico Rodriguez. He's a dear friend of mine. I got him that fight in Brazil, remember? Um, yeah. Mangueira. He fought Mangueira. Mangueira. That's it. I mean, Jeff is Jeff. He, he finds his shortcuts around stuff. I guess I wasn't there. I guess he used a, a false penis to pass a drug test, and they say he had to go out and fight with it. I mean, Worst things can happen, but I still love Jeff to pieces. He passed the test, though, right? Hey, he's one of the craziest guys. You know what he did with what he did with Dennis Hallman? He got Dennis Dennis Hallman's house, and Dennis wasn't there. He went into the house. It was a small house. He took all the furniture out and mounted the living room up on the roof. Yeah, he's, I, I've heard that story. He took all Holman's furniture and put it on the roof of Holman's house yeah, at he, one point. He set, up the lid. he set up the living room on the roof. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, right, so they, uh, how about Abu Dhabi in Sao Paulo when he fought Salo Ibero? In, in Sao Paulo, yeah. When, when he lost the fight, he uh, – he, uh, well, the story – what he did was he, he took off his shorts and marched oh, naked into the back room. He took off all his clothes and walked, walked out of the yeah. stadium – he yeah. did it at the Arnold's, well, too. Well, before, the Arnold's. He, and before he walked out of the stadium, he went into the back, and what was hilarious was that we're in there, and he kicks open the door, and he's buck naked. And, you know, in the, he's lying on his back doing scissor, you know, warming up was Marcelo Garcia, and he's sitting there lying there, and Munson's standing over him naked all of a sudden after slamming the door. The look on Marcelo's face was sheer panic. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I heard those shorts – now hang on the wall of like a restaurant or something, or at least spend some time hanging on the wall of a restaurant that the guy who caught them in the audience put them in his shop. Yeah. You know, uh, he did the same thing at the at the Arnold's. He was on the receiving end of like a bad decision on a grappling match, and he just got naked. The whole place erupted. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, like I saw him naked. 
I recommend he keep his clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so guys, I got to run too, man. Wait, 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 real quick. One more. We do an asshole game. We uh, just run through names. It's asshole or not. And then we'll let you out of here, right? We've okay. taken up more of your time. Tell me. Tell me. All right, Miguel, you start. Jamie Levine. Um, I can't define Jamie. He was an asshole and he wasn't an asshole. I, I got along with Jamie. He was a crazy guy. I didn't have a problem with him, you know. I almost drowned him once. He, he, he tried to wrestle me in a pool with a bunch of a bunch of uh, high school girls, and I was mad at him, and I kept him on the bottom, and Wade realized I was trying to drown him and pulled me off of him. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ed Soros. I love Ed. I love it. I get along with them. I love it. I just, I just with this fight between with with Glover and and uh, and Chicago, I, I woke Ed up and said, "Well, Ed, hey, listen, I love it. I get along with them fine." Jeff Osborne. Oh, I love Jeff. He's a good guy. How about Josh you? Barnett. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know John. Joe, Joe Ricardo. Uh, from Brazil. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know him very well. I know he, I, I was at that fight when uh, when that kid Flavio Alvaro was fighting that big wrestler. Uh huh. And he had remember when when Randleman fought Bazrutin? Yeah. And mopped the floor with Bazrutin, and they gave the decision to to, to Randall to Bazrutin. Well, I I think Boss won the fight, but yeah, I remember that day. No, he But Joe Ricardo was in Flavio's corner and said, hey, and this big old guy has, has poor Flavio Alvaro, not Flavio Alvaro, was another kid. Flavio Mora. Yeah, Flavio Mora had him, and, and Joe Ricardo says, get up, because he doesn't know how to choke anybody. Dude, with biceps that size, you don't even need to know. He had to do a squash, so, but I don't know him very well. Right, one last name, Ryan Gracie. Um. I don't. I don't know Ryan. I never met him. Okay. Um, I know. Renzo, I know Renzo very well. I really like Renzo. I respect Renzo a lot. Um, I guess that that Ryan was probably a good guy. Just a, just a problem child, you know. Yeah. You know, huh. I, I Excellent. Those people I didn't know. I never got to meet. So so who's it besides Waleed? Name one other person who you don't like. <laughs> put you on the spot here. Let's let's let's. Put it not that I don't like personally is I don't like what he what he, he has done to the businesses Ali. I think that that what what the way Ali is doing things, the way he's becoming prominent, the way he is getting big in this business in a way that it's completely unhealthy for the business. It's not personal. It's just the way I see it. Excellent, excellent, Alex. Thank you, absolute professional man. Sincerely appreciate your time. I love it, man. I'm coming. I'm coming to Costa Rica. Now you have my WhatsApp. I'm coming to Costa Rica to meet you, okay? Okay, perfect, man. You can uh, stay here or we'll get you a hotel better better for you. But uh, uh, you're more than welcome. I'd love to have you. I'm going to have a party down here one day. It's going to involve a lot of people. Okay, <laughs> I love you, man. What, what happened to Calvin Harris? Where is that guy? Uh, you know... He's still in the uh, sports book business, but the fight business 
he was a fan and he enjoyed it, but he didn't have the Dan passion, the, the Fertitta passion. And, the, you know, he's not, he's not in a fight game anymore. He's around and he makes money here. You know, they, they're, one of the other guys from one of the other sports books, they found dead a couple of years back. So, like, they're all under, like, a, a lot lower profile here in Costa Rica nowadays. And, you know, I'm poor, so nobody cares about me. So. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm poor, too, but I got great stories. Yeah, that, that, that we got. No one's taking our stories away from us. Hey, uh, this is the Lights Out Podcast. We lost Chris as a first responder. He's doing something more important. But I know he had a lot of fun. Uh, talking to Alex Davis, they go back a long way as well. Uh, Alex Davis, a pleasure to have this guy here. We got into just the tip of the iceberg of the stories. I'm thinking we, we, may have more. A, we may have a part two at some point. Thanks, guys. Okay, Thank you. Guys. Thank you Bye-bye. All right, guys. I stopped recording here.